Well, good morning. In, uh, in my past, one of my past lives, I've had many of them, I guess just one life, but a lot of careers, uh, I was a CPA at one time and uh, lived in Albuquerque at the time, worked for a big accounting firm, and one of my clients was a uranium mine. And so as we were doing their audit, one day we had to actually go down into one of their uranium mines in order to inventory a lot of the equipment that they had there. So we got to the mine and and they gave us all this equipment to put on and everything and gave us the safety briefing and we went way down into this uranium mine which was way down underground. It's kind of a scary thing and when we got down there it's really wet and it was cold down there. I remember that. But the thing I remember most is just how dark it was down there. As we were going through the mine, the the employee that was leading us, we got to this one place in the mine, and he said, okay, I want you to all just stand still right now, make sure you have good footing, and he said, now I want you to all turn off your headlamps. And so we did. And talk about being so dark, literally you could not see your hand in front of your face. I don't think I've ever been any place that dark, ever. And, And as I was thinking about that, I thought, you know, That's what it would be like to be completely blind. And that was kind of a scary thing, really, to be honest, but but it's not nearly as scary as being spiritually blind, which is what we're going to talk about this morning. We're in the uh, next to last week of our current sermon series, The Seven Signs, and we've been talking about these seven different signs that, that Jesus performed that John records for us in his gospel account. And John tells us, that out of all the signs that Jesus performed, he picked out these seven because each one of them indicates something about the nature of Jesus and who he is. And the reason he tells us that he does that at the end of his gospel account is because he wants us to believe in Jesus Christ and to put our faith in him and to, as a result of that, to, to get eternal life, to receive eternal life. And so that's what all the seven signs have in common. Now, Now this sixth sign, we shouldn't be surprised that like all the other ones, we're going to learn something very important about Jesus today. But this sign's a little bit different in some of the others in that I think that perhaps the greatest value that we get out of studying this sign is we're going to be able to look at the way that other people responded to this sign. We're going to talk about four different groups or or, uh, people and we're going to see how they responded to this sign. And as we do that, we're going to learn a lot about ourselves. And we're going to learn a lot about the people around us and how we tend to respond to Jesus as well. And I think that's going to be really beneficial for all of us. It'll help us to grow in our own personal relationship with Jesus. But it's also going to help us to be able to, to share our faith more effectively with other people around us. Now we need to understand kind of the background of, of this sign. In, in John, beginning in chapter 7 and going all the way through about the middle of chapter 10, Jesus is at the Feast of Booths in Jerusalem. It's also known as the Feast of Tabernacles. And there were certain practices that took place during this feast that provide the background for some of the things that Jesus is going to do and say while he's there at the feast. In particular, this morning, there was one practice that's going to kind of be an important background behind what Jesus is going to do at this sixth sign. It was called the illumination of the temple. And on every night of this eight-night festival, they would take and they would, uh, they had these giant 70-foot, uh, five, 75-foot tall lanterns, oil-filled lanterns that they would put in the court of the women there in the temple. 
and they would light, and these guys would climb up these ladders 75 feet high. You can imagine that's like a seven or eight story building. Josh, you would really like that, right? To climb up high and light those? No? Not, not really, huh? But you can imagine these guys climb up the ladder, they would light these lights, and it would illuminate the entire city of Jerusalem because the temples kind of sat up on a hill. And it's with that background that Jesus, a little earlier in John, that he had declared himself to be the light of the world. And for those Jews who were looking forward to the Messiah, that would have reminded them of a prophecy from the prophet Isaiah. Here's what Isaiah had written that they would have been familiar with. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has a light shone. And that would have been a reminder to them that the Messiah was going to come and was going to bring light to a world that was full of darkness. And so John, John in his gospel account, he's constantly talking about this difference between dark and light, dark and light. And we're going to see this played out with this sixth sign. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to, uh, to John chapter 9 this morning. I'm going to refer to a lot of the things that occur in this chapter. I'm not going to read the entire chapter because we just don't have time to do that this morning, but I'd encourage you to go back and do that on your own. And if you do that, I promise you're going to be rewarded with a little bit of humor because you cannot help but read this chapter and see some pretty funny things that happen in the conversations that take place. I mean, things like this, this man who's been born blind, and he, he turns to the Pharisees and says, oh, you guys want to become Jesus' disciples too? Or this guy's parents saying, hey, he's old enough, you go ask him. And so there's a certain amount of humor in there, and, and you can see that as you read it. But I'm going to just read the, the sign itself, which is in the first seven verses here of John chapter 9. It says, and he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back, see. So here's the idea that I want us to, to take out of this passage today. That this sixth sign shows that Jesus is the light of the world who came to give spiritual sight to all who trust in him. That's what we're going to see here. Jesus, he's the light of the world. He says that again here. He said it earlier in John. And now he's going to repeat that again here. But he came to give spiritual sight to all who trust in him. As I said earlier, John, John loves this picture of light and darkness. And we see it all throughout his gospel account. It goes all the way back to John chapter 1 when John wrote these words in the, at the beginning of his gospel. He said, in him, speaking of Jesus, was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And so Jesus here is this, he's pictured as the light of the world, the one who comes to bring spiritual sight. And as I mentioned before, we're going to look at the responses of the, the people in different groups here because I think we can learn a lot from that. 
And one of the things we're going to see, and this is really ironic, is that the man who is born blind, he's the only one who can spiritually see, where everyone who can physically see is blind spiritually. So let's look at these four responses. Let's just kind of get to them. We'll go these, these four people or groups of people, see how they respond to this sign, and see what we can learn about that in our own lives, and, and also the implications for how we share our faith with other people. The first group here were the neighbors. And the neighbors, I would say they were blinded by distraction. If you read, if you read all the questions they asked, they come to this guy, are you sure you're the guy that was blind? I mean, they'd lived next to this guy all along, and, and they had to know it was him, but they just couldn't believe that he could see now. And then they begin to ask more questions, but, but it's really interesting if you read this, they're not that interested in who did the healing. They're more interested in how the healing was done. And that's, that's true of a lot of people, I think. I think, and we've talked about this before, I think that's why Jesus rarely heals in the same way twice when you go all throughout the Scriptures. As a matter of fact, there's other examples of Jesus healing blind men in the Bible, right? And sometimes He just speaks to them and they're healed. Other times He, he touches them and they're healed. Here, He does something really weird, doesn't He? He spits in the dirt, he makes mud, and he puts it on this guy's eyes. Now, I don't know about you, but that's not how I really want to be healed if I'm blind. But I think he does that because if he did it the same way every time, what would we do? We get all cut up on the methods that Jesus used, and we figure it was just the method, and we forget about the who rather than the how. And I think that's, that's what these neighbors did. They got all caught up in that. And I think Jesus heals in this specific way, as we're going to see in a moment, because as we've seen before with some of the signs, Jesus wants to provoke another confrontation with the, the Jewish religious leaders and the, the Pharisees in particular. You see, in that culture, the, the Gentiles, a lot of the pagan Gentiles, they believed that you could heal somebody's eyes with saliva. But the Jews, and I, I can't blame them for this, they found that really distasteful. And so they come up with some laws that says you can't heal with that. And, and so Jesus here, he's, he's breaking their laws. We're going to talk more about that in a moment. I think they're blinded by another reason, but I think they're also blinded because they're caught up in the how too rather than the who is doing it. And we see the same thing in the world today, don't we? We see people that are distracted from finding out who Jesus is because they're distracted with the how, all kinds of other things. They might get distracted by, by things like like evolution, or abortion, or homosexual marriage, or things like that. And the Bible does have, th have, have much to say about those topics. But they're not nearly as important as who Jesus is. And so, so we need to be really careful as we deal with these people. So how do I, how do I deal with someone who is blinded by distraction? How do I do that? I would say here's how you do it. You turn the conversation back to Jesus. That's what this man does, right? They keep asking, every time he's asked questions, I mean, he's brought before the Pharisees twice, his neighbors are asking him, everyone's asking him, how did it happen? How did it happen? What does he do? He keeps saying, I don't know how it happened. I just know that Jesus did it. I know that I was blind and now I can see what he kept doing over at, time after time is he turns the conversation back to Jesus. And I think that's how we 
can be more effective sometimes in sharing the gospel with people who are distracted. Here's how I'd suggest that you do it. Let's say somebody wants to talk to you about evolution or about abortion or about homosexual marriage. Here's what I like to do is to say something like this. You know what? Those are all great topics, and the Bible has a lot to say about them. And I'd love to have that conversation with you someday. But before we do that, I love you so much, I care for you so much, that I want to talk about the thing that's more important than that, and that is your relationship with Jesus. And here's what Jesus did for me, and here's what He can do for you. Now, do you think you can do that? That's a pretty simple thing, right? So you want to take and turn the conversation back around to Jesus and who He is. And you can have those other conversations down the line, but don't don't let those distract from the most important decision that a person has to make, and that is... They have to decide for themselves who is Jesus and what are they going to do with him. So the neighbors were, they were blinded by their distraction. Next, we see the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, they were blinded by their religion. And as we've talked about before, when I'm using religion in this series, I'm I'm talking about this man-made system of being made right with God. And most of the time, religion, it, it includes a bunch of rules. It includes a bunch of traditions. It includes sometimes a bunch of rituals as part of that. And certainly the the Jews were caught up in all kinds of stuff like that. That was more important to them than Jesus. As I said, they'd made rules about saliva, healing with saliva. They'd made rules about healing on the Sabbath. And we see how, how that causes problems with Jesus here. And they were so caught up with all their religious rules that they missed out on who Jesus was. I'm amazed at this. Just as we saw with the official whose son was healed, the Jews find out this guy is healed and they don't even care that he's healed. They don't even focus on the miracle itself. All they want to know is, who is this Jesus that's violating our laws? That's amazing. They claim to be wanting to know the Messiah, and yet because they're so focused on their religion, when Jesus is standing before them, they not only won't believe that He is from God, but they certainly won't believe that He is God, standing in the flesh right before them. And unfortunately, there are a lot of people today in our culture who are blinded by religion. They've gotten caught up in some man-made set of rules, in some traditions, in, in some rituals, in some kind of rules somewhere, and they think by following all that kind of stuff that they can be made right. Now, I think a lot of the religious people of our day, a lot of the religious leaders, the really charismatic ones, are, and, and also our politicians, I think they're a lot like the Pharisees. You know, we tend to paint the Pharisees as these bad guys, but I think the Pharisees, when they first started out, they did it with good intention. They thought, we're going to make these rules because we're going to help people follow God. We're going to help them be right with God. But here's what happens after a while. Because of that, because they were kind of the arbiters of the law and everything, they became really well-respected. Sometimes we read about the Pharisees in the Bible and we think they were these guys that that nobody liked. They were very well-respected. And because of the position they were in, they got invited to all the best social events. And after a while, they also began to make a lot of money off of what they were doing. And so when somebody comes along and they threaten that, 
You bet. They, they're going to do everything they have to hang on to what they have. And you see that with politicians today. You see that with some of these charismatic leaders. I think a lot of them started out, Christian leaders started out with good intentions, but they got wrapped up in the, the trappings of the religion. Even some who claim to be Christians, I think, have gotten caught up in that. I've talked to people like that that think, man, if I don't, if, if, if I don't celebrate communion or if I don't get baptized or if I don't go through some other thing, well, I can't be made right with God. So how do I deal with that? How do I deal with the person who is blinded by religion? I'd say this, you want to turn the conversation back to God's grace. That's what this man does too. I mean, he not only turns the conversation back to Jesus, but if you look at it carefully, you'll find out that that as he talks to the religious leaders, he makes it really clear that he understands he did absolutely nothing that would deserve Jesus coming into his life and healing him. It was nothing he'd done. It was merely Jesus, his grace that was poured out upon him, and he understood that. He understood he hadn't even been seeking Jesus out. Jesus sought him. And we need to do the same thing. Rather than beginning to argue with people about, about their religion or arguing about some practice or some ritual that they're going through or some rule that they have, what we need to do is to turn the conversation back around to God's grace. And that's where a great dose of humility comes in really great. We turn to them and say, hey, you know what? I was just like you one day. I thought if I followed the rules, but, but then I began to understand that there's no way I can follow the rules on my own. I'm not capable of doing that. So I'm really thankful that Jesus sought me out and that He poured out His grace upon me and that He gave me a gift of eternal life even though I did absolutely nothing to earn or deserve that. So we turn the conversation again back around to God's grace. Then there's the third group here, and this is the one that baffles me the most, the parents. I just want to ask, those of you who are parents, if you had a son who had been born blind, and all of a sudden he's miraculously healed, how do you think you'd respond? I think you'd be pretty happy, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you want to go and find the guy that had had healed your son and say, thank you, sir, so much for doing this? But they're so blinded by the the fear of other people that they don't do that. They're afraid of the Pharisees. They're afraid that they're going to be put out of the the synagogue if they have anything to do with this Jesus that healed their son. That's sad. But you know what? I can kind of relate to that. Because I think I was there at one point in my life myself. I wasn't really introduced to the gospel in my life till I was uh, in college. And as I began to be convicted about my need to, to put my faith in Jesus Christ, I, I did have those worries. I worried about, if I do that, what is my family going to think? What are my, what are my friends going to think if I do that? Matter of fact, over the years, or even shortly after I made that decision, a lot, some of my relationships with people who had been my best friends in high school and college, they began to change because some of those people didn't want anything to do with some Jesus freak, you know? So I understand this is a a real fear. 
Now, fortunately, over time, I began to realize that my relationship with Jesus is far better than any of those other things that I might lose, far better than, than any of those, those relationships that might be damaged. So it was by all means worth it. But it doesn't mean that those fears aren't real. So how do I deal with people who are blinded by the fear of others? Two things. I think, first of all, I need to express empathy, and then I need to offer support. The one thing these people do not need is what my natural tendency would be. I'm kind of a Pharisee in some ways. I just tell some people, here's the way it is, suck it up and do it, you know? I mean, that's, that's my natural tendency. But they don't need that. They don't need a lecture. What they need is someone to come along and say, you know what, I understand how you're feeling. I was there myself at one time, so I understand that. So your, your fears are real, but here's the thing. You know what? I'm going to be here with you as you go through this. And regardless of what happens with your family and your friends and other people, I will walk through this with you all the way. I will be here by your side. And even if I fail you, guess what? Jesus has promised to be with you. So you, give, you express empathy and you offer support to those people. So all those people, they... They could see physically, but they were blind spiritually. And that finally brings us to the man who was formerly blind. And he's the only one that sees, and he sees by faith. He sees by faith. Now think about the obstacles that this guy had to overcome in order to do that. The first obstacle is the way Jesus heals him. Now, I don't know about you, but when some guy comes and tells me he's going to heal me by spitting in the dirt and putting that mud on my eyes, I'm going to be like, you know, I'm not so sure about this. But we see no evidence at all that, that he rejected that or he shied away from that. You know, Jesus' methods are often much different than what we would expect. And what we have to do is we just have to, we have to accept those. And we have to believe Jesus, and we have to obey Jesus. And that's what he does, even when what Jesus told him to do didn't make any sense. And then think about this. Then Jesus tells him, what does he tell him to do after he, after he puts the mud on his eyes? He says, now I want you to walk down to the pool of Siloam. We don't know how far, but, but even if it was a couple hundred yards, this guy's blind. And he tells him to walk down to the pool and, and wash your eyes. The guy does it. There's no indication here he got any help to do that. He just, he's just obedient to what Jesus tells him to do, even when it doesn't make sense. And to a certain extent, let's be honest, what Jesus has done for us and the way that we're made right with God, it doesn't totally make a lot of sense sometimes, right, to our human minds? I mean, the idea that the way that I'm made right with God is because some guy died on a cross and rose from the grave. That's not the way we would do it. But Jesus loved us so much that he came to earth and he lived as a man. And he did. He died on the cross to pay the penalty that all of us deserve. And then he rose from the grave to prove that he was God in the flesh and that he had power over sin and over death. And the way that, we be, that we're made right with God is not through our religion. It's by putting our faith in Jesus Christ alone. So we've seen this morning that this sixth sign shows us that Jesus is the light of the world. 
who came to, gave, came to give spiritual sight to all who would trust in him. And the great thing about this message this morning is that it's applicable to every one of us that are here today and to those of you who are joining us online this morning. Regardless of where you are in your walk with Jesus, there's something that you can take and you can apply from this message. Now normally I always start when I, I, with these applications, I talk to those who have not yet put their faith in Jesus, but I'm going to kind of turn it around today and I want to talk first to those of you who have already received your spiritual sight, who have committed your life to Jesus, who have put your faith in Him. And this morning, I want to encourage you to do two things. First of all, in just a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray. And as I do that, I want you to thank Jesus for being the light of the world who gave you your spiritual sight. As we've talked about before, you didn't do anything to deserve that. Even when you were not seeking out Jesus, guess what? Jesus was seeking you. And if it wasn't for what Jesus had done in your life, if it wasn't for the guidance of the Holy Spirit, there is no way you would have a relationship with Jesus today. There's no way you would have put your faith in Him. That's all God's work. You can't claim any credit for that at all. And so here's what I want you to do. Just go ahead and bow your head for a moment. And I want you to just thank Jesus for doing that in your life. Take just a moment to do that. Now, that's not something you should just do, you know, one Sunday a year when we have a sermon on it. That's something you ought to do every day, is take time just to thank God, to thank Jesus for what he's done in your life. Second thing I want to I talk about here for just a moment, and that is um, telling other people about what Jesus has done for you. You notice I haven't used the word evangelism yet this morning. Because that's a big, scary word, isn't it, to a lot of Christians? I mean, let's face it, we hear that word, and right away we're going to turn it off, because that, that's for the pastors, that's for the elders. But evangelism, unfortunately, I think we've made it much more difficult, much more complicated than it needs to be. All it is is strictly telling other people what Jesus has done for you. I mean, this, this blind guy, he did not have a seminary degree, I'm pretty sure. He hadn't gone through any religious training. All he did was tell the other people what Jesus had done for him. And I think that every one of us in this room, every one of you joining us online, you're capable of doing that. And you're capable of doing the other things that we talked about today. Turning the conversation back to Jesus. Turning the conversation to God's grace. Offering empathy and support to those who might be fearful of others. That's all you have to do. And so I, I want you to look for opportunities in your life to do that. When God brings someone into your life, it doesn't have to be complicated. Just tell them what Jesus has done for you and leave the rest to Jesus. Now I want to close by talking to those of you who have not yet put your faith in Jesus Christ, who, who haven't received your spiritual sight from Jesus. And this morning... 
this message makes it really clear what you need to do. Just like this blind man did. You need to believe and you need to obey. You need to believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin. You need to believe that He rose from the grave to prove that He is God in the flesh. And then you need to obey Him by putting your faith and your trust in Him. The very fact that you're here joining us this morning is an indication that even if you haven't been seeking Jesus, Jesus has been seeking you. Now there's nothing I can say or do to convince you to do that. Only God Himself can do that. So I want to pray for you this morning as we close and pray that God would open your spiritual eyes. So let me pray for you. Father, I, I do pray for anyone here this morning, whether they're here in this building, whether they're joining us online, who has not yet received the spiritual sight that you want to give them. I pray that at this very moment that your Holy Spirit would be speaking to their spirit convicting them of their need for a Savior, convicting them of their sin. Father, helping them to understand what it means to, to believe and to obey Jesus. Father, my greatest desire is that they too would come to have the spiritual sight that you want to give them through Jesus. Pray it in His name. Amen.